Hi, welcome to the cottage. We are a lively outpouring of an exciting adventure into God's riches and glories in Christ Jesus. We really work to activate an excitement for the kingdom of God as it is in the now until it comes into its fullness. We invite you to our sessions to explore the heights and depths of God's love in a fuller bandwidth. I'm Dr. Ken, the pastor of a small independent church seeking to return to the Lord's zeal in times where apathy and lethargy rule the day of the complacent. We try to shake things up and offer a temporary home as we travel this sod until we reach higher ground and connect into the everlasting life from above, here on the earth as it is in heaven. For more information, you can email us at thecottage at dken.cc. That is thecottage at dken.cc. Hi, welcome back to The Cottage, where we continue our series ahead of the cross. We're at Holy Wednesday, and we're tying things together. And tonight's message is about being under his wing. Does God have wings? Does God have feathers? Well, I hope that this message will help you understand what we mean by being under God's wings. All right, praise God. So now we're going to do the wings, I think. <laughs> praise God. Under his wings. You're probably wondering, wait a minute, why are we doing this now? Well, I think you might need it. That's probably why. <laughs> so, praise God. So I don't know. God gives them to me and hallelujah. Anyway, we left off. Oh, boy. Boy, we are off. We left off on Sunday with... Psalm 103, verse 5, it says, Who satisfy thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles? And uh, so, obviously I mentioned at that time, Isaiah 40, verse 31, we're always familiar with. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This power that God wants to give us. And so, why on the Wednesday before Easter are we talking about this? Well, in Matthew 23, verses 37 to 39. Sorry that the titles are cut off a little bit. Jesus is saying, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stoned them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is left desolate unto you, for I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So he's referring back to the same thing when he's riding the donkey, and they are crying out, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, and he is letting them know. And it was always interesting these passages of Scripture, because they're actually a metaphor. Uh, how do you describe God? I mean, it's impossible. He's indescribable, as Chris Tomlin is saying. You know, it's impossible, but we try to use any metaphor we can. But there have been people that try to say, well, the Bible says God has feathers. So God's a big chicken. So we should put KFC on the steeple, right? You know, I mean, people get really ridiculous with this. But God actually does have feathers. If you think about it, he does. I'll get to that in a moment. So be thinking about that. Deuteronomy 32, we have this phrase, 
Deuteronomy 32, 10 through 11, in the Old Testament that this is hearkening back to, where God is described in taking the children of Israel out of Egypt, past Sinai, and into the promised land through the wilderness. It says, he found him in a desert land in a waste, howling wilderness. Maybe that's what you feel like. The waste, the howling land, you know. It's just screaming there. Life is just screaming at you right now. But God led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. You are the apple of God's eye. Even though we're making this treacherous journey through the wilderness to get to the promise of God, and even though Jesus is making his journey to the cross this very week, we must know that we're the apple of God's eye. He is looking upon us. As I keep telling you, the angels long to look down here to see what's going on rather than focusing on what's at the throne. Fluttereth over, as an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth upon her rings, and taketh them. So there's your wings language. And I'm going to grab this fluttereth over your young coming up in another verse. But I want you to see that. God is described as that mother hen back then. And Jesus is describing the same thing. And he's saying you didn't get it right then when God tried to bring you in. And then he had to kick you out. And now you've missed, as we talked about on Sunday, you missed the day of your visitation. God has come to visit you and you're missing it. And God just wants to gather you under his wings. Goes on to say in verse 11, beareth them on her wings. Just like that. Psalm 36, 7 continues. How excellent is that loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. Does God really have wings? Yes, he does. I'm going to show you. God actually does have wings. Believe it or not, the Bible teaches us that God has wings. This one you can take literally. You can take literally. As birds flying, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending also, he will deliver it, and passing over, he will preserve it. Out of Isaiah 31.5. That's what God wants to do. That's what God wants to do. That is the cry of Jesus. Why tears are on his eyes when he's on that donkey. Because this is what Mother Hen wants to do. Just like my parents. They want to hold their grandchildren. With tears. With tears. Jesus is crying the same. Jesus is crying the same. Psalm 91, we know that one. Psalm 91, verse 4, particularly, but we know the whole psalm. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Under his wings. How can we be found under his wings? What is Jesus talking about? What is all this going on? And how in the world can you say that God has feathers? Going back to that word I showed you earlier in Deuteronomy, it's back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved. That's hovering like a bird. The very language used of God in Deuteronomy is used to describe the Spirit floating over the waters, upon the face of the waters. In a new creation. And what Jesus is trying to bring is a new creation. And he's hearkening back that the Spirit is coming in Pentecost. The Spirit of God is returning. 
And God has to uncreate. And he's getting ready on the cross to uncreate everything so that he can bring about new creation, taking us all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Now, there ain't many of you here tonight. Just like we struggled last Wednesday night. We had a smaller crowd last Wednesday night. But I want you to understand this because this is helping us set the table for what we're going to do on Sunday so that I can tell everybody to take you out to eat. <laughs> for chicken, maybe. Wings? Anyway. Do they have that buffalo wings? I never I understood. I've never seen a buffalo fly. What is a buffalo wing? It's hot. That's what it is. It's hot. What's the buffalo got to do with hot? Okay. Spicy. Here it is in another translation. This is the Lexham English Bible. I'm sorry, slides are cut off. We, we got the thing knocked around when I was messing with the TV. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering. This is a better translation of that Hebrew word than the King James. Over the surface of the waters. Hovering. So, more modern translations have started to get this aspect and pull it out because we're tying it to what's said in Deuteronomy and other places. Talking about Jesus is getting ready to bring about that new creation that he promised. But first he has to uncreate. It's kind of like Genesis 1, the whole earth was covered with water. And Genesis 6, the flood comes and again, everything's covered in water and God has to recreate. And God has to recreate. And Noah sends out the dove to let him know. So that we have this language of the birds and new creation. Here's God's wings. Isaiah chapter 6. We've been here recently. We went to Isaiah chapter 6. But I want to show you where God's wings are. This is what we're under. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. There is where God has wings. These beings that surround the throne of God. As a matter of fact, in the ancient world, you would see them carrying the king. You would see them carrying the king on poles, just like the ark. But you would see the king in this little box and the servants would carry. That's the idea that God is inside this thing and the angels, well not angels actually, these are more, angels don't have wings in the Bible by the way. Trivia question. Angels in the Bible don't have wings. Seraphim do. Cherubim do. These other creatures do. But angels, we never see angels with wings. Sorry, Mom. You have to throw them all away. (laughs) Mom collects angels. Sorry. There's not a single angel in the Bible that has wings. Only these special seraphim and cherubim do. And this one has six wings. Okay? And they are God's bodyguards. They're His entourage. They're His... Throne guardians, they protect the throne. Now these are pictured out of, out of Egypt and they're like the snakes. You know how the cobra has the wings? They're pictured like flying serpents, serpent type creatures. Of which one of them we talked about earlier in Isaiah 14 is the bad guy. But he was one of these. He was one of these beings. Now he's got wings because he's not an angel. He's not a fallen angel. He's a fallen one of these. But they got wings because they're flying in the heavens with God. They're up there, okay, with God. So here's the other part of this verse I want you to understand. Back to Matthew 23, 
37 to 39. O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, I'm repeating myself. Thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent to thee, how often I have gathered thy children together, even as hen gathers her chickens and weeds, and ye would not. Now we have been here already. I've set you up. In previous messages, we have been here. And ye would not. What did we do in Jeremiah 6.16? We said, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is thy good way? And walk therein, and you will find rest for your soul. Jesus has showed up in a donkey. He's ready to do it. And what does it say? But they said, We will not walk therein. Jesus is coming in there. No. This is not what we want, God. No. I want you to gather underneath my wings my not angels but archangels that have the wings that are about my throne who protect me which God like God needs protection but they are sent to watch over you in all these things that you're going through and you can be under those wings but they would not they missed the visitation of God. And this is what puts tears on Jesus' eyes. Not because they're buffalo spicy wings. That might put tears on your eyes. Because they're so spicy. No, these people, Jesus is crying because they would not receive him as he was sent by God. They wanted something else. Isaiah 30, 15, the same thing. For thus saith the Lord, the God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and confidence shall be your strength. Sounds wonderful. And I preached this already. If you remember, I've already preached this verse. And ye would not. And ye would not. And Jesus is on a donkey, and they would not. He said the stones would cry. He's telling them in Matthew 23, the stones. Talking about the stones of the temple, the stones of Jerusalem that the Romans are going to destroy. They're worried about his disciples singing this song. He knows what's going to happen in 70 AD. 40 years, just like the wilderness. 40 years in reversal. Everything's going to be destroyed in 40 years. Your house is left Unto you desolate. It's coming. I'm going to die. And 40 years from now. It's game over. This remodeling project. That's going to take all the way up to. In the 60's. Early 60's. That they're working on. It's going to be destroyed. Jeremiah 12.7 says. This is where it's coming from. He's quoting from this. And I have forsaken mine house. And I've left mine inheritance. And I've given I've given dearly, beloved of my soul, into the hands of her enemies. The Jews handed Jesus over to the Romans, so God returned the favor, and God turns Jerusalem over to the Romans. And there hasn't been a temple since. Because you would not. Ezekiel chapter 8, 9, 10, and 11 tells the same story. Tells the same story. Matter of fact, Ezekiel chapter 1, if you know that story, is the same thing that we just did with Isaiah chapter 6. Where Ezekiel sees. But see, this is the difference. Okay? You've got to understand. 
that there are three deportations in the exile. Three times. In the first deportation, you have like Daniel and whatnot. Then the second one, you have another group of people. And the third one, you have another group of people. And Ezekiel's in this, these deportations. And these people are sent by the Babylonians from Jerusalem to Babylon as prisoners, as captives. And what's amazing is, I don't know if you watch the news. Does anybody watch the news anymore? Kind of painful, isn't it? But what's interesting, I was always amazed when I went to uh, Nepal and they, they had batteries and they had the wind-up radios, you know, and they could try to get the news. And then eventually, one month before I arrived at the village, they got electricity. They had like one light bulb hanging out on the front porch and that was it. Maybe one in the house, the mud house. That was it. But they'd plug in the radio. They could get the news. you hear what was going on in the rest of the world. Get the news. Well, what do the people in Babylon do? They want to get news about what's going on in Jerusalem. The funny thing about it is if you read Ezekiel, Ezekiel is like, what, I don't know, Walter Cronkite? You guys know Walter, right? Got the right group. You all know Walter Cronkite. That's good. I got to be careful. Some of these messages I do, I get a younger crowd. They go, Walter, who? I did, I, did a youth, I did a youth rally one time, and I was preaching on Samson, and I had Barney Fife as Samson, and all the adults were cutting up, and the kids go, who's Barney Fife? Because <laughs> the Bible says they didn't know where Samson got his power. So it's not like Arnold Schwarzenegger out there. You know, you can tell he's strong. No, it's like Barney Fife going, what is he doing? So Ezekiel's like Walter Concrete because... God seemed to open up in visions to Ezekiel and he sees everything that's going on. And so then he is almost like transported in his vision to the point that you don't know if Ezekiel's actually in Babylon or if he's in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, he's allowed to dig a hole inside the temple walls and look inside the temple and see what the priests are doing. And the priests are worshiping all these gods. Not only are the priests, but the elders. The elders who don't belong inside the temple. The elders who don't belong inside the temple are inside the temple with the priests and they're worshiping all these other gods. And God says, I've had enough. Game over. I'm out of here. And God slowly leaves and they don't even notice it. He kind of just tiptoes out. And he said the presence of God was at this point and that point and through these these chapters, 8, 9, 10, and 11, you begin to see how God's pulling out. And they don't even know God's left the building. And they're carrying on doing their thing and God's left. But where does God go? He goes to Babylon. Why? Because he goes there to be with Ezekiel, to be with the people in captivity. He's no longer in Jerusalem. He's no longer in Zion. He's no longer in his house. He's left it and he's gone to Babylon. And now he's sending Nebuchadnezzar. He's sending. The message of the Bible is not that Marduk, the Babylonian god, is greater. But that no, Yahweh has taken residence over in exile. He's joined the people in their exile. And he is with Ezekiel by the river Kabar in Babylon. And I gave you that one song, number 137 in the book. Number 137, not in the majesty hymnal. No, number 137 in the Psalms, the Hebrew songbook. By the rivers of Babylon, 
God is with them in Babylon. And he is the one sending the enemy to destroy the house. And this is when the temple gets destroyed. The first Solomon's temple gets destroyed. God sends to destroy the temple. But God is in Babylon and God is doing it. Because God wants to be with his people in their captivity. Because the people left behind, the elders, don't, the, the rulers don't even belong inside the temple compound. That's for the priests. And they're all in there getting up partying with the other gods. And you see God, and so in, the, in, in chapter 1, God shows up to Ezekiel. And you see the wings, and you see these beings, and they're carrying God on his quadrica, they call it. But it's the chariot, throne chariot. It's a chariot. And God's saying, I'm going to set up my camp, not any longer in Jerusalem, but I'm going to set it up in Babylon, and I'm going to send the Babylonians, and they're going to destroy the temple. Because they chose to worship other gods, because they chose to align themselves with the wrong powers, because they chose, because, <laughs> let's go back to today's message, and you would not. And the question is, are you going to be with him? Because he's with you. Even these people were in exile, he's with them. And Ezekiel is seeing everything. As a matter of fact, they're going every night, they're going to Ezekiel's house to see what Ezekiel's going to do next. Because Ezekiel every night has a performance for them. Where God gives him a word and he performs that word. And it takes six months for a messenger to get from Jerusalem all the way to Babylon to tell them what happened. But Ezekiel told him six months ago. Because Ezekiel was as if he was standing there in Jerusalem in the streets watching it happen. And he tells them exactly what's going on in Jerusalem. So they don't have a TV. They don't have YouTube or any tube. They just got Ezekiel. And Ezekiel's seeing it all happen live, and he is telling them live. Not on the CNN, but Ezekiel, uh, ETV maybe, <laughs> Ezekiel TV. What's happening? And they keep going to Ezekiel's ho house to see, oh my, what's he going to tell us tonight? But they don't like what he's got to say, because he tells them that God is against them. Because they would not. And here is Jesus, shows up preaching, healing the sick, raising the dead, forgiving sins, doing everything. And they're crying for Messiah. The Messiah shows up in their mess. They get their Messiah. And you would not. And that's what brings Jesus to tears. And we have that choice. Whether we will be under his wings. Or whether we will be with the world. Because they would not. And my prayer is that we would. Join him. Because he would. On the wooden cross he dies. He would. Because he would for you and for me. Will we do for him? Are we like them? We would not. That's what God is asking us. Whether we would. Would not. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. Did you do that? See, she knows what I'm talking about. Woody, Woody not. Woody, Woody not. Woody. Or Woody not. 
That's what the question is laid before us. That's what's going on when Jesus is coming through on that donkey and he's crying and he's going to the temple because the temple is supposed to be where God's presence is, where those seraphim and cherubim are. The wings are supposed to be in that house. But we haven't seen the ark. There's no mention of the ark in the Bible since Jeremiah. That's the last mention of the ark. Some people think it's hiding out in Africa today. I don't know. I'm not so sure. By all accounts and measures, this probably destroyed. There was no ark in this temple that Jesus was preaching at. The last mention of the ark, and it doesn't sound good either. <laughs> Jeremiah didn't have a lot of good to say about it. The last mention of the ark of the covenant, Moses' ark, that we had a picture I threw up on the wall. Again, I'm tying all these messages together. I hope you're seeing that. If you're not, go back and listen to them. If you can't stand the news, go back and listen to our messages. I'm tying all these together for you. And they would not. But we can. You can. I can. We can. We don't have to be with the would-nots and the have-nots. We can be with those who would and be with Christ who did when he died on the cross. And we can be under his wings. And we can find shelter there. I know we're going through a lot as a church. I'm going through a lot personally. You're going through a lot. Things are happening. It's tough. Just like they were in exile in Babylon. But God was with them. And I keep telling you, God, Emmanuel, with you. And it's worth it to make this climb. It's worth it. We're still, remember, we're still making that climb with Jesus. I keep thinking of Cornelius because he likes my St. Louis Cardinals jokes. You know, Mike Shannon, get up, get up, get up. Finally, Jordan Walker hit a home run today. They lost again, of course. The Braves scalped him. I don't even know if that's probably not proper politically correct language. But anyway, the Braves took him out. They lost. But at least Jordan Walker got to hit his home run today. First home run for that kid. But that's what I, the excitement that we have for a baseball game. What about the excitement God has? We say, get up, get up, get up. You can do this. You can get up. You can get up. Whatever you're going through, you can get up and get underneath his wings and he will carry you. The problem is they would not be carried by God. And Jesus shows up and says, oh my goodness, I'm going to carry all the sins of the whole world and you would not. And you would not. But don't forget what I taught you in Acts 6. Many Pharisees, many priests came to the Lord, including Saul who became Paul. So God never counts you out. Until you quit and you count yourself out. He's with you. Whatever you're going through, he is ready, willing, and able to get you up where you need to be. And I pray you get underneath his wings. Because that means wherever God goes, you go. And he will carry you through it all. Father God, we thank you. We may not be like Ezekiel in some strange land, cast away, captives in exile. But you were with Ezekiel. You left your home to be with Ezekiel. And Jesus, you left heaven to be with us. 
You even went to Sheol to show us that the Sheol has no power. Hades has no power over us. Death has no power. I pray that we would. During this week, we have just a few days left. Tomorrow is Thursday. Thursday was when you instituted the Lord's Supper. Friday is when you were crucified. Saturday, you took your rest. And on Sunday, you got to work and you showed us the beating of death and the victory that we keep singing about, the power that's in that blood. Father, we can count in this room the blessings that this church is together with you and with each other that we can get up as long as we're under your wings together. Help us to experience all that you are and all that you long to be in our lives even as we fight to get up in this world to be with you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this broadcast. You can find out more about us at dken.cc. That's D-K-E-N dot C-C. We look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you.